Man, it's so good to see you all here today. And it's, it's unusual to have all the young people and all the workers gone. Uh, we have over 40 people heading to, um, to Georgia right now, and so we want to be in prayer for them. And it's, it's just good to be in the house of the Lord today. Open your Bibles with me to 1 John chapter 4. Now we're taking a break from our Zechariah series. Um, if you're a guest with us, what we normally do is we actually preach through books of the Bible, and we're going through the book of Zechariah. But I didn't want those who had left to miss the next section of Zechariah. So we're going to do something else today that I think is a, will be a good thing for us. And uh, so let's, let's go to the Lord. I guess I should open my Bible. That would help if I was going to do that. 1 John chapter 4. Let's start reading in verse 7. 1 John chapter 4 and verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. And everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. He that loveth not knoweth not God. For God is love. And this was manifested, the love of God toward us, because that God sent His only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through Him. Here in His love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Now that propitiation, that means the satisfactory payment. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. No man hath seen God at any time. If we love one another, God dwelleth in us, and His love is perfected in us. Hereby know we that we dwell in Him, and He in us, because He hath given us of His Spirit. And we have seen and do testify that the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God, God dwelleth in Him, and He in God. And we have known and believed the love that God hath to us. God is love, and he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God, and God in him. Now, before I, I go on, what do you think, if, if repetition is God's volume control, and it is, what do you think this text is about? Love. Now, some of you are still confused, and I'm worried about you. All right, so let's go back to the text. Look at verse 17. Herein is our love made perfect that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as He is, so are we in this world. It's interesting that here you have this whole passage about love, the love that God has for us, how He sent the, Jesus to be the propitiation for our sins, the payment for our sins. And even in this whole context of love, He reminds us that judgment is to come. So this weird concept that, that even some in Christianity have about the love of God where they never talk about judgment, we can't understand His love unless we understand how that love has saved us from judgment. Right? So let's, let's go back to the text, verse 17 again. Herein is our love made perfect, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. Because as He is, so are we in this world. There's no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear, because fear hath torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. We love him because he first loved us. If any man say, I love God and hateth his brother, he is a liar. For he that loveth not his brother whom he hath seen, how can he love God whom he hath not seen? And this commandment we have, uh, and this commandment have we from him, that he who loveth God love his brother also. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I think that this is a, just a vital truth for us to have as believers. And Lord, this is something that Grace Baptist Church, that we just need to have it as our, as our foundation and as our backbone. 
So, Father, I pray today as we learn some things about how to love one another that we'll put it to uh, use and that you can make us better for it. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, it's interesting. I think that there are churches that you go to, and all that you'll hear about is just the love, love, love. That's, that's all that they talk about. Man, I'm so thankful that God loves us. We don't ever want to diminish that, but probably, again, the most famous verse in the Bible, for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. See, love has to be based in truth. And the truth is that we're all sinners and for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God and that Jesus Christ came into the world. He was born of a virgin. He lived a sinless life. He died on a cross that was not His. It was ours. He died on the cross to pay for our sin. And then He was buried. And after three days and three nights, He rose from the dead proving that He was, is, and always will be God. That love that was manifested in His death, burial, and resurrection, that love that was manifested in His virgin birth, we are supposed to demonstrate that love. What did Jesus Christ say? They'll know you are my disciples by your love one for another. And so what I want to give today, I want to talk about seven laws of love. Seven laws of love. How can we as believers live out this Christian life in the world, and we can only do it through scriptural love. But I want to make a couple of comments from this text. If you look at verse 1, uh, 1 John 4, Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. First of all, I want you to see that love is discerning. Love is discerning. You know, some people have this weird idea that if you love something, you never identify error. Well, you don't want a doctor like that. You don't want that anywhere in your life. Love is always discerning. I've had some, have you ever heard somebody say this? I love my children too much to spank them. Have you ever heard somebody say something like that? that no, you love yourself too much to spank your kids. Because not, none of us enjoy spanking our kids. We don't, now, when they're in college, it's fun to hit them. But he's bigger than me now, so I, I, I don't know about that. But it, it's just, I love them too much to spank them. That's such a silly thing to say, isn't it? It's a silly thing to say. Love is discerning. Verse 2, Hereby know ye the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesseth that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is of God. Now, this idea of confessing that Jesus has come in the flesh, you know, every person that calls themselves a Christian believes in the virgin birth. All right? It, that, if you don't believe in the virgin birth, that's not a Christian church. It's a cult of some kind, right? Not everyone that believes in the virgin birth is going to heaven, though. The Bible says that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. That confession, the word confess means to agree with God. And the verse, sometimes we just go right past this thought that you'll confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, so what you're saying is you're saying, Lord, what I believe is that you are Lord and I'm not and I can't be saved without you. I cannot save myself. I'm not the Lord. You are the Lord. That's what this is talking about. Verse 2, Hereby know ye the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesseth that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is of God. Love is discerning, but love understands the sacrifice that Jesus Christ had to make for our salvation. All right, verse 3, And every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is not of God. 
And this is that spirit of Antichrist, whereof ye have heard that it should come. And even now, already is it in the world. So you ready for this? So love is discerning. Love recognizes that Jesus Christ had to make a sacrifice. And love judges. Love judges. So any teacher that calls himself a Christian who doesn't believe that Jesus Christ is God, that is the spirit of Antichrist. Now, how many of you think that's a judgmental statement? Right? The Bible, Jesus himself said, judge righteous judgment. So we have to be discerning. We have to be judgmental in order to be able to demonstrate God's love. There are things that are bad for you. If I said to you, eat Big Macs every day and you'll be healthy. Well, I don't know about you guys. I actually love Big Macs. I could eat two of them right now. Right? But they don't love me. Anyone here, you love White Castle? Anyone, you absolutely love White Castle? I question your discernment. <laughs> because they do not love your stomach. When I was in college, we called them gut bombs, right? Because you eat 15 of them and then you want to, you know, I, I better stop. But <laughs> if I tell you that, that I love you and I'm going to give you nutrition advice, the Big Mac or the Sliders, that's what we call the White Castles, the, the, they're, they're not good for you. Amen? I mean, is this, is this common sense? Right? So there are things that if I love you, I'm going to tell you the truth. I have to tell you the truth. And in order to tell you the truth, you have to be discerning. And discerning is judging. One of my favorite things on when someone tells you not to judge. When, when you say to a lady, oh, you look nice today. She never says, stop judging me. Right? But that's a judgment. It is a judgment. Um, so let's, let's look at this next verse. Verse 4. Ye are of God, little children, and have overcome them. That's the Antichrist and those who teach the spirit of Antichrist. Because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. You ready for this? Love is secure. God's love, love that comes from God is secure. How many of you, how many of you know for sure that you're going to heaven? You know that Jesus Christ is your Savior. That, and, of course, 1 John chapter 5, look at verse 13. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that ye have eternal life and that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God. And so what, love is secure. Man, I'm, wonderf I'm wonderful. I'm so thankful and I think it's wonderful <laughs> that God loves me so much and His love is so pure that in spite of the, of the sin that I commit, that my salvation is not based on my behavior. It's based on His grace, mercy, and love. Man, that is so wonderful. Because like we always say, cheer up, you're a lot worse than you think you are. We are, we're just sinners. And the only way that we can have that security forever is based on what Jesus Christ did for us. We sang the song, I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. He is able to keep it. Look at verse 5. Remember at the end of verse 4, um, so greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. You know, there are people, it just, this is just, a, just an aside. There are people that believe that Satan can possess believers. You know, so there's this, this weird spiritual warfare stuff that goes on. Um, and, and I've heard of, you know, casting out these, these demons that are oppressing you or whatever. The Bible says greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And in verse... Um, Verse 16, and we know uh, and believe the love that God hath to us. God is love, and he that dwelleth in love 
dwelleth in God. And what is that next, those next four words? And God in him. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Listen, when you're sinning, Satan's not doing it. Right? The devil made me do it, theology. No, you did it. Jesus said, it's not that which enters into a man that defiles a man, but that which proceeds out of the man. Satan doesn't need to make me sin. I do okay on my own. Right? And so what, it's so wonderful to understand the security and the power and the strength that we have because God is in us. I'm so glad the Holy Spirit dwells in us. Verse 5, again, they are of the world, therefore they speak of the world, and the world heareth them. We are of God. He that knoweth God heareth us. He that is not of God heareth not us. Hereby know we the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Is there any discernment or judgment in that verse? Right? How do we do that? Because God's in us. So not only is love discerning and love recognizes that Jesus Christ needed to die on the cross for our sins, not only does love teach us to judge, not only does love make us secure, but love helps us to speak the truth and to hear the truth. You know, there you can tell when someone is away from God. I, I watch this happen. They might start sitting up here and they start moving toward the back. Right? Now, the Leesners started at the back, so they're okay. They're still right with God. Everything's good. But you, you watch that happen, and they move to the back, they move to the back, they, they, they stop coming. And what, what's going on? Often what's going on is their life, they don't want to align their lives with the word that's being preached. I don't know about you guys. There have been times when I was away from the Lord when I was younger, and I did not want to hear preaching then. Because honestly, it didn't matter what the preacher was preaching on, I was convicted. Because I wasn't living right. And what is that? That's the Holy Spirit of God in you that makes you want to hear the truth, but then our sin nature wants to rebel against that truth. What's the cure for that? Love God. When you love God, you're going to love His Word. When you love God, you're going to love hearing His Word. And this passage is just all so clear about it. Now, verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another... For the love, for love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. All right, so we can't really love unless we're born again. We can't really love unless we understand that God loved us first. That's the teaching of the Word of God. Now, let me read something to you that Alexander McLaren said about this text. He said, Large truths may be spoken in little words. Profundity is often supposed to be obscurity, but the deepest depth is clear. John in his gospel and epistles deals with the deepest realities and with all things in their eternal aspects. But his vocabulary is the simplest in the New Testament. God and the world, life and death, love and hate, light and darkness, these are, these are the favorite words round which his thoughts gather. Here are nine little monosyllables. What can be simpler than, as he is, so are we in the world. Just simple words, simple ideas that become very difficult to live. But listen, all of us who want to be called Christians, the Bible says we're supposed to be like Christ. Now, you don't be like Christ to be a Christian. You become a Christian by grace, and then God, through His Holy Spirit, makes us like Christ as we yield to Him. Uh, look at, keep your place here in 1 John, but go to uh, 1 Peter 3.8. We're going to go through the Scriptures right now, just for a few minutes, and look at these seven laws of love. 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 8. Finally, be ye all of one mind, having compassion one of another. Love as brethren, be pitiful, 
be courteous, not rendering evil for evil or railing for railing, but contrarywise blessing, knowing that ye are thereunto called that ye should inherit a blessing. Now, I'm laughing as I'm reading that because it says railing, don't do railing for railing, contrarywise blessing. So somebody's yelling at you, saying really ugly things to you, and you say, bless you. <laughs> so I'm getting ready to drive to Georgia today. You know, I guess, I guess I'll go to Tennessee today and then to Georgia tomorrow. But when somebody cuts me off or whatever, and they get mad at you and they, they salute you as they drive past and these other things, bless you. <laughs> bless you. Remember Dave McCracken preached here years ago. He's going to preach here for us again next year. And uh, he said, he said, are you, he, remember, some of you will remember this. He talked about splashing Jesus. How we're supposed to splash Jesus. Shortly after that, Lydia was probably 10 or 11 years old. I'm yelling at somebody on the road. And she said, Dad, are you splashing Jesus? <laughs> I said, shut up. Don't you, put, don't you throw preaching at me. This at first just always makes me laugh. But what I want to talk about, it just, just for a minute, let's look at these words that are used in verse 8. Finally, be ye all of one mind. Now, remember from our Philippians study, that that oneness of mind, that's the heartbeat that God wants us to have in the church. 1 Corinthians 1.10 says, um, but, uh, he says that, um, I would you all speak the same thing, that there be no divisions among you, but you be, that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. God wants us as a church to have one mind. The only way that we can do that is by submitting to the Scriptures. That's it. Speak the same thing by speaking the Word of God. Then notice what it says, again, verse 8. Finally, be ye all of one mind, having compassion one of another. Love as brethren, be pitiful, be courteous. Let's talk about that. Compassion is a suffering with another. Painful sympathy. A sensation of sorrow excited by the distress or misfortunes of another. So the, this, this compassion, this is, we talked about it last Sunday night, about having an outward focus. When you're in trouble, when, you're, when you have burdens in your life, it's very easy to focus on that, that inward focus. God wants us, even when we're in trouble, to turn our focus out to the needs of others. That's compassion. It is a suffering with another. And, and here's the problem. When we are being selfish, none of us enjoy suffering. When I'm being selfish, I don't want to suffer with someone else. Right? That's why it has to be on purpose. It has to be uh, intentional through the Holy Spirit. Then the other word that's used in the verse is pity. So it's pity. Pity is the feeling or suffering of one person excited by the distress of another. So it's sympathy with the grief or misery of another. So the Bible tells us to do that. We need to care about what other people are going through. Now I've got to tell you, you people are mean. I, I, what I'll do is when a guest will come to Sydney, I'll say, if you want to understand Sydney, we'll be driving down the road. Just wave at somebody. How many of you who are not from here noticed what happens when you wave at someone here? So, you'll, see, so if we, were in, we moved here from Oklahoma, when you're driving, they all do the trucker wave. The hands on the steering wheel. Everybody. Everybody that you go by, they wave. Here, you'll wave at somebody, and this is what you get. They're walking down the street, you wave at them. Right? So the, Laura sat on a jury one time, and this person had been in an accident. And honestly, it looked like the person was trying to milk the insurance company. You know, Everybody voted against that person. 
Here in Sydney, go to work. I don't care what's wrong with you. You know what I'm talking about? It is just that's the spirit. That's the attitude. Now, I love that work ethic. That's why the factories come here, right? How many of you work with people that really shouldn't have jobs? Right? You know what I'm talking about? A little overemployment in our area. And so I understand all of that that happens. And so we can become really hard. But the Bible says when someone is genuinely hurt, when someone is genuinely needy, we're supposed to feel that pain. We're supposed to feel it. If that's not in your nature, you need to ask the Holy Spirit to help you to be that for your brothers and sisters in Christ. We need to be that. So the words are compassion, pity, and then courtesy. That's an interesting word at the end of, the, of verse 8. Be courteous. Be courteous. This is, ready for this, elegance or politeness of manners, especially politeness connected with kindness. Courteous. Be kind. This is the way that we're supposed to be with each other. Respectful. Not everything down to its lowest common denominator. So now let's look at how are we going to apply this? How are we going to do these things? First, um, these are I will statements. These are laws for love. So let's, let's look at this. The first one is this. I will give myself to meeting the needs of others. I will give myself to meeting the needs of others. Look at 1 John chapter 3. First John chapter 3, verse 17. <clears throat> but whoso hath this world's good, and seeth his brother have need. Now, look at the qualifier. Look at what it says. You, you have the world's goods, and then you see his, what's that next word? Brother have need, and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him. How dwelleth the love of God in him? My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. So we've talked about the social gospel, and let's, let's do this just real quickly. Keep your place here in 1 John. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And don't worry, I'm not going to preach the whole charity sermon right here. I preached three sermons last Sunday morning, so I won't do that this Sunday morning. All right, so 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 3, And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned and have not charity, it profiteth me nothing. So let's take that middle phrase out so that you can get the meaning. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and have not charity, it profiteth me nothing. So giving everything you have to the poor is not charity. That's not what charity is. That word has been turned upside down in Christianity. Go back with me to 1 John chapter 3. Verse 17, But whoso hath this world's good, and seeth his brother have need, and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? The idea of Christianity, remember the social gospel is not the preaching of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. The social gospel is the idea that you help people by meeting their needs. They don't need to go to heaven or hell. They just need to have their physical needs met. The Bible, that has nothing to do with Scripture. That's not in the Bible. This is the way that the Bible deals with it. The Bible says, As you have opportunity, do good unto all men, especially to they who are of the household of faith. So our first responsibility is to work and provide for our own. First Timothy he that provideth not for his own hath denied the faith and is worse than an infidel. All right? So it's your job 
to feed your men. It's your job to feed your family. It's your job to feed your family. That's the plan. That's God's plan. If you're a single mom here, that has fallen to you. It's your job to feed your family. That's your job. Now, when you have a genuine need, when you are working hard, you're using the gifts that God has given you, you're doing what you can, and then you have a problem. You're physically incapable of working. You know, you know that there are people that are physically incapable of working. They can't do it. Well, what's supposed to happen then is God's people are supposed to step in for God's people. The world has it so turned upside down to where the church is supposed to meet the needs of all the poor in the world. Jesus said you'll always have the poor with you. What was the context of that? Spending money on Jesus. They were saying, of course, who was it? That great Bible scholar and spiritual leader, Judas. Remember what he said? We could have used that money to feed so many people. That costs so much money. Jesus said you're always going to have the poor with you. So focusing ministry on feeding the poor is not biblical ministry. You know, Pastor, that sounds... I can't believe you're saying that out loud. No, what we want to do is we want to lead the poor to the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior. We want to disciple them in an economy like ours. Now they're going to be able to provide for themselves if they'll submit to what the Bible says about their work ethic, about their spending, about their giving, and them focusing on the needs of someone else. You see, that's the way that God has the plan. So what we need to do is we need to understand that if I am going to love the way that God wants me to love, the first thing to need to do is I've got to stop looking at my own needs and problems. I've got to take care of that as God allows me, and then I need to look at the needs of others and be ready to help a brother in Christ. I've got to say this at Grace Baptist Church. So years ago, I'm talking 20 years ago, we had a family um, that was attending the church, and he was hurt. Construction worker, he was hurt. They had a bunch of needs. The insurance wasn't caring for everything that they needed. I'll bet you we were running 70 people then. And I, I mentioned that need. I can't, it was either five dollars or $10,000 that was given in one offering to help this family. We moved them back to, their, to where they were from. We helped them. That's just God's people stepping up. And every time there's been a need presented at Grace Baptist, and a genuine need from someone who attends Grace Baptist, and we've presented that need, that need has been met. Now, there have been other times I had somebody come and ask me to, ask me to pay. This is somebody who was attending the church and asked if the church could pay their mortgage. And I looked at their budget, and I, I asked for their budget, and I started. They got mad at me because I wanted to see how they were spending their money before I spent the church's money on their mortgage. How many of you want me to ask those questions in those situations, right? Because we're always ready to help. You know, sometimes the help is teaching them how to handle their money. But sometimes people just, there isn't anything there. They're doing everything right. There's a problem. That's when God's people step in. And we need to be willing and ready to do that. If we spend every penny we have on ourselves, we're not ready to help other people when that need happens. Is that right? All right. So, first law of love, I will give myself to meeting the needs of others. And then number two, I will strive to be kind. I will strive to be kind. Go to Ephesians chapter 4. Isn't it interesting how the Christian life, there's always that balance? You know, you can, you're talking about love. And so some people think love is never condemning anything, right? And other people think that they love by only pointing out what's wrong. 
There's always a balance in the Christian life. All right, so let's, let's, I'm going to try and do this quicker. Let's get done because I think some of you are done with me already. All right. Number two, I will strive to be kind. Ephesians chapter 4. Look with me at verse 31. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. I was on an airplane one time, flying somewhere, and which, of course, is what you do on an airplane. I know that was not necessary to put that next thing in. Anyway, I was on this airplane. We're, we're all getting our stuff in. And, you know, anymore, it's just brutal getting on an airplane, right? And so I had my briefcase up there or whatever, and this guy came in and started jamming my stuff into the corner to get his suitcase in. And I said, um, I said, hold on, let, let me help you with that. And so I just got up and moved some stuff over and put his suitcase in, fit it in. And this lady that was sitting next to me, she said, I can't believe you were so nice to him when he was doing that with your things. And it might have been the only time in my life when I was. but that it really struck me it really struck me that here's this person watching the way that i behave and of course my thought on an airplane is always i want to be able to give this person the gospel that's next to me if i had been belligerent to that guy would she have listened to me at all if i talked about the gospel it's so interesting what kindness does and i know i've told you this before laura and i were were having a fight when we Hadn't been married very long. And I, I said something very kind, like, what do you want from me? And she said, I'll never forget it. Just be kind. Just be... I've never forgotten that. Just be kind. You know that that's the way that we're supposed to interact with, with people? And I, I guess this is a question that we need to ask ourselves. Just ask the Lord to help you, you know, search my heart, as it says in Psalm 139, and just say, Lord, am I kind to people? Am I kind? And then try as you go through your day to test your statement. I just spoke to this person. Was I kind? So I will endeavor or I will strive to be kind. Then number three, I will endeavor to put the words, feelings, and desires of others before my own. I will endeavor to put the needs, feelings, and desires of others before my own. Go look at Philippians chapter 3. The next book over, Philippians chapter 3. And look at verse 2. You know, I guess we need verse 1 for the context. So Philippians 3, 1. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you, to me indeed is not grievous, but for you it's safe. Beware of dogs. Beware of evil workers. Beware of the concision. For we are the circumcision which worshipeth God in the Spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. Though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if any other man thinketh that he hath whereof he might trust in the flesh, I more circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Benjamin, uh, I'm sorry, of the stock of Israel of the tribe of Benjamin, and Hebrew of the Hebrews as touching the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is in the law blameless. But what things were gained to me, those I counted loss. For Christ, I counted them loss for Christ. What we have to do 
sometimes in the Christian life, especially if you've been saved for a, a long period of time, you've been growing in the Lord, you've been involved in discipleship, man, we can become pretty judgmental when we look at the people around us. And so what we're supposed to do is we're supposed to say, God, man, I, I recognize that you've done a lot in my life. Help me not to be so full of myself that I can't put others before me. We've not, you know, I heard someone say years ago about teaching Sunday school or whatever, well, I paid my dues. I've done my time. You know, or work in the nursery. It's like you've been in prison. <laughs> you know? I did my time in the nursery. I don't need to do my time in the... Those, what's the purpose of the nursery? What is the purpose of it? I don't know if you've ever heard this stated out loud. It's to torture people. That's what it's for because other people's kids are awful. No, the purpose of the nursery is to give people the opportunity, adults the opportunity to hear God's Word and to have God do something in their lives. Now, how many of you know that everyone needs to hear God's Word and have God work in their lives? How many of you know that everyone needs that? So the purpose of the nursery is to allow the folks, the, the adults, to be able to focus for just a little while on something other than meeting the needs of their children. Well, it takes workers to be able to do that. And so if I am going to love people, I'm going to endeavor to put the needs, feelings, and desires of others before my own. Then, number four, I will try to feel what others feel in every situation. I will try to feel what others feel in every situation. Look at Romans chapter 12. Romans 12, look at verse 10. <clears throat> Be kindly affectioned one to another with brotherly love in honor preferring one another. In honor preferring one another. Look at verse 15. Rejoice with them that do rejoice and weep with them that weep. Be of the same mind one toward another. Mind not high things, but condescend to men of low estate. Be not wise in your own conceits. I need to understand. I need to try and understand what other people are feeling. I need to get off my high horse. I need to stop thinking that I'm better than the people around me. And I just need to love people. Amen? This is the way that we're supposed to do. Number five, I will trust the Lord to help me to bear more and more and suffer long. But we don't want to do that, do we? I want the Lord to give me patience to help other people. Look at Romans chapter 15. Romans 15, verse 1. We then that are strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let every one of us please his neighbor for his good to edification. How about that? Is that just really a clear passage of Scripture on how we're supposed to love each other? We then that are strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let every one of us please his neighbor for his good to his edification. I think a good statement there is just don't be selfish. Then number six, I will, with the help of God, love those that hate me. Matthew chapter 5. Isn't it funny? Let's look at it. Matthew 5, 44. I'll just make a quick comment and we'll, we'll move on. Matthew 5, 44. But I say unto you, love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. 
Have you ever had somebody come to you and they're wanting to confess their sin and they say something like, I want you to know, I've always hated you. <laughs> Can I tell you something? Don't do that. Just give that hatred to the Lord. Ask Him to help you with it. And then just be kind to that person. Just ask the Lord to teach you to love them. How many of you have experienced something like that? You know, I, I never really liked you, but God's working on me and I, that doesn't help. Don't do that. But man, it's hard. When you actually know someone hates you, when you know someone, when Rocky Harrell preached for our man camp, I guess it was last year, year before last, year before last, we got a letter. He preached here on the Sunday. We got a letter from this lady that had come through and it was, I will never come back to your church. That loud-mouthed, angry preacher, I hated that man. I Just this whole thing. And so I read it to him. And he said, you've got to send that to me. He teaches at a college. He said, I've got to read that to my preaching class to, understand, to help people understand that when you stand up and you preach God's Word, when you have somebody that hates the truth, they're going to hate you. And Jesus said, it's all right when they hate you. They hated me first. We can't take it personally. It's not about us. Now, if you do something hateful, it's your fault. Don't do that. Don't be that way. But when you're just preaching in love, when you're teaching in love, when you're representing Christ out into the world and the world hates you, bless them because it's not you that they hate. It's what God is doing through you. That's what they hate. And it could be that if you react properly, that that's what it's going to take to get through to that person. It's vital. Then number seven, I will remember the master plan when trying to relate to others. What's God's master plan in this world? How did He reveal it for us? Romans chapter 8. And I think you all know this verse, verse 28. The Bible says, And we know that all things work together for good, to them that love God, to them who are called, are the called according to His purpose. Now, remember what our context is. Our context is love. That we can love other people because God has loved us. How many of you would say that you love God? You'd say that. Now, look at this verse again. And we know that some things work together for good. What does it say? What does all mean? All means all, and that's all that all means. That's it. All things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to God's purpose. Do you believe that God has a purpose for your life? See, that's one of the things that's hard to recognize. When we look at what's going on in the world, we fail to recognize that God has a purpose and a plan. So for myself, I am who I am because of what God has allowed to come into my life. And there are things that came into my life that I didn't want to be there. But it shaped me to be able to help people. Um, you know, the, look, look with me. I'll just finish with this. Go to 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Have any of you ever been fired from a job? If you've been fired, raise your hand. All right, me too. My hand's up here too. Um, Dave McCracken, he says that it was time for me to pastor. I say he fired me. Okay, we'll try to settle that when he comes to preach here. All right, so now look, look at what this says. Verse 3, so 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforteth us in all our tribulation, 
Look at what it says. That we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. So let me use that illustration of being fired. Man, when you get fired, and, and it depends on where you are in life too, you know, if you're 20 or whatever, you think, okay, I'll go get another job. If you've got a family and you have responsibilities and you don't know whether or not you can find another job in your field, that feeling when you're fired, laid off, whatever it is, it's horrible. It is a horrible, horrible thing. Now, again, how many of you have been through that? So when someone else goes through that, now what has God done? God has given you the tools to help that person. So let me ask you another question. Those of you who are fired, how many of you starved to death? Would you raise your hands? You starved to death. No. God has helped us. God has helped us through those situations. And what God does is He allows those things to come into our lives, and then He comforts us through it. He helps us through it. Why? So that we can comfort someone else. So that we can use that experience that we never would have chosen for ourselves, and we can help someone else who's going through that. Just don't raise your hand here. But how many... Don't, don't raise your hand. I want you to ask yourself, how many of you are going through something right now that you would never have chosen for yourself? You're going through something that you would never have chosen for yourself. What you need to realize is that God will comfort you through that. But that God has also placed God's people around you who have already gone through that, who can help you. But only if those people who have gone through it are ready to meet the needs of someone else, someone who's ready to suffer with someone else, someone who's willing to endure the pain that you're going through and to feel that pain themselves. You see, that's a sacrifice. That can only be done through the Holy Spirit, and it can really only be done when you love that person. It can really only be done when you love them. I remember years ago, Lydia was riding down a hill, and she hit something or whatever on her bike, and she flew over the handlebars, and, man, she was chewed up. It was terrible. It, it was awful. And... First of all, we realized that I should never be a doctor because I can't do it, all right? But secondly, the, the pain or the, the way that I felt, and I wasn't the one that was hurt, and then this is, they were, how long ago was that? How old were you when that happened? Maybe she was 14, so Jacob would have been 12, and... Jacob got so upset watching her be hurt. It was such an interesting thing to see because I didn't think he even liked her. <laughs> what is that? That's love. When you really love someone and they're hurt, it affects you. Right? I wonder how much of that goes on at Grace Baptist where someone is genuinely going through a need and other people in the church, us, us, where we are feeling that with them. Because what happens when we are bearing, you know, bear ye one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ, the Bible says, when I am helping that person, that burden, it doesn't go away from that person, but it becomes a little lighter and more bearable. And now there's the room for healing, for growth, for perspective. 
to see that this isn't the rest of my life. See, that's what God wants us to do. But the foundation of it is love. Because when someone's going through a problem, you might have human sympathy for that person. You are, oh man, that's a bummer. Okay, let's go get coffee. Now, that's the way it is when you watch the news. You see something that's going on. And what are you going to do? You can't solve all the, world, all the world's problems. You can't do it. You can't. You'd go, and there are people that internalize everything that they see on something like that. Those people are called crazy people. Right? You can't, you can't do that. But God did give us the capacity to bear the needs of these people. Isn't that interesting? God doesn't expect you to bear the needs of the whole world. Jesus did that. But He does expect you to bear the burdens and feel the pain of the people that are sitting around you. Or the, you know, I think we have four or five hundred people that attend Grace Baptist. Wouldn't it be cool if they came all at one time? I think that would be awesome. I don't know where we'd put them, but it, so God did give us the capacity to meet those needs. You say, wait a minute, I can't meet 500 people's needs. How about two? How about three? How about someone other than yourself? See, that's the thing that we have to remember. I've got to stop looking at me. I need to look at them through His eyes, through His love. That's what we need. And the only way we can do it is to be loved by Him. He loved us so that we can love others. Seven rules or seven laws of love. I will give myself to meeting the needs of others. I will strive to be kind. I will endeavor to put the needs, feelings, and desires of others before my own. I will try to feel what others feel in every situation. I will trust the Lord to help me to bear more and more and suffer long. I will, with the help of God, love those that hate me. And I will remember the master plan when trying to relate to others. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, you loved us first. That's the only way that we can love anyone.